You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So say goodnight to the bad guy. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So I've prepared a statement that I feel the need to read to all of you. Ladies and gentlemen of the Packernet Podcast, I would like to humbly apologize for my attack on the Green Bay Packers with my stats on Aaron Rodgers. I apologize for my COVID opinions, my Star Trek ignorance, my Lord of the Rings blasphemy, and for the assault on our American way of life in my bottled water tirade. I would also like to apologize to all the dirty hippies, the soccer moms, and the don't tread on me folks for slandering your amazingly awesome and thought-provoking bumper stickers. I am wretched and unworthy of your time, Forgive me, O gods of wrath, accept my offerings of apologies and foot cleaning. I won't, I won't do the last one, but I want to at least read it and hope that uh, it'll make you feel better. That last part wasn't in the statement. I'm just clarifying. I will not be doing any of that. And so now that I am absolved of all my sins, at least, uh, you know, podcast-wise, and you have all forgiven me and we've moved on, I think it's time to uh, start offending some more people. So, welcome to the Packernet Podcast. Sorry to those of you, by the way, who are offended for other reasons and I didn't apologize to you. It's possible I forgot, or conversely, it's also possible I just don't care enough. Maybe both. I'm not sure. Also, I didn't mean any of those apologies, so don't feel too bad about it. However, I know most of you probably didn't care anyways, but I want to take a second crack at this because it was clarified, and that is my little Star Trek thing. Apparently, I was completely ignorant to the ways of Star Trek and quickly was uh, explained to what all this stuff means. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's because you didn't listen to yesterday's episode. Go listen to that and come on back, all right? So let me read the question, and then I will uh, elaborate for those of you like me that didn't know what in the world this meant. Mike in the Facebook group said, If you had to make a four-man Star Trek away team for the current roster, who would it be and who's the red shirt? Part of the confusion is that a lot of the terminology is also football terminology. An away team is football terminology, as is red shirt. But in Star Trek terminology, the away team are the people that, you know, get beamed down to some planet and go check stuff out. And it actually, when it was explained who the four people are, it was like, I remember that. I used to play the Star Trek game on Nintendo, and you'd have to, I believe, pick the people that you wanted to be your first officer, security officer, science officer, 
And then I don't think Redshirt was a part of it, but apparently Redshirt is some other guy that was there basically just to get killed for the TV show. So that is my task. I have to pick four Green Bay Packers for, we'll say, Captain LaFleur's Star Trek Away team. At least that's how somebody else did it. And I'm going to steal all their stuff, except for a couple of the players. And we'll go from there. Some of this is relatively obvious. But the first officer is going to be Aaron Rodgers. Because, duh, I guess? I don't know. Security officer, you could go a different direction, but I think Zadarius is probably going to make the most sense. And for obvious reasons. I mean, the guy was the enforcer for the defense. What else do you think? I mean, you could go a different direction and say, well, security protecting David Bakhtiari, right? You could go that route, but, you know, it's Zadarius. Science officer, I'm looking for probably the most intelligent person on the team, and since Aaron Rodgers is already gone, I'm thinking the second most intelligent guy is probably David Bakhtiari. And by intelligent, I don't just mean IQ. I'm talking about somebody that knows the offense slash defense slash whatever really, really well. If John Kuhn was still on the team, I would have gone with Kuhn. At this point, I'm going to say it's David Bakhtiari. It could possibly be Adams. I'm not really sure, but I believe Rodgers has made comments about it could be wrong about that. Maybe it's Lindsley. I don't remember, but David Bakhtiari sounds right to me. He's been around a long time, at least. I don't know. The real interesting thing is who is going to be the red shirt. Now, it was explained to me that the red shirt is the guy that uh, you're just introduced to. In other words, he's brand new, but don't get attached because he's going to be gone soon. And I figured the first person that came to mind, and it's going to upset a lot of people, and uh, I'll, I'll swiftly apologize for it because that's, you know, that's how I roll here on the Packernet Podcast. I, I give speak my mind and apologize for it. But I'm going to say Reggie Begleton. <laughs> I mean, look, Reggie is, first of all, it makes sense from a standpoint of sending the guy down there. He's, he's a very large person. So I just f- would feel kind of safe, right? He's a big dude. He'll mess some people up. Granted, we're using phasers and tasers and lasers or whatever nonsense. I mean, great science weaponry. I don't know. Still, Reggie Begleton is a kind of a big, scary dude. He also fits the new protocol. And uh, I've been saying for a while I wouldn't get too attached to him. So that's that's my guy, Reggie Begleton. So Captain LaFleur's Fleur Star Trek team consists of Aaron Rodgers, Darius Smith, David Bakhtiari, and Reggie Begleton. Now, does that mean I think he's going to get cut? I would say less than 50% sure, but not much less. And I like to retu- re- routinely bring that up. Because the constant Reggie Begleton hype, just, you know, my personality, it annoys me. It shouldn't. I mean, he's a Green Bay Packer, and people are excited about him, and I should just, if I was just a normal human being, it would just make me happy. But again, there's no real reason to be this excited about Reggie Begleton, so I'm going to keep poking that bear. But anywho, welcome to the Packernet Podcast. Please make sure you get in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. If you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page, if you'd like to support the show, packernet.com. Uh, nope. Ah, forget it. You get one shot at it, man. If you're going to mess it up, you get nothing. Try to be a professional for once in your life. By the way, we are in the 800s. I didn't mention that. It was the title of one of the episodes, so you probably should know that. But the cool thing about that is that, assuming there's no massive layoff in, uh, in episodes, I am taking weekends off, but that'll stop once the regular season starts, within a year, we should be at 1,000 episodes. That's crazy to me. Also, another thing that's crazy to me that just dawned on me. I feel like I've been doing this for like a year or two. This is season four coming up. This is my fourth season having this podcast. 
I feel like I'm, I'm a crusty old veteran at this point, man. In fact, I remember when I started, there was a Packers podcast, uh, Railbird Central, I think it was called. And he was at like 700, 800 episodes when I had started, and he was just ending his podcast, which was obviously a very long-standing podcast. And I remember thinking, I'm never going to get to that many episodes, but that's crazy. You know, maybe in like 10, 50 years, I don't know, wasn't doing math very well, plus I wasn't doing it daily. And here I am, having, I think, maybe surpassed that show, which is a massive milestone, because again, that was a an institution as far as Packers podcasts go. Been going strong for a while here. And again, it all it just it just kind of crept up on me. Should probably start getting my act together pretty soon here. <laughs> and by the way, that does not count any of the PM shows that you're listening to. I don't count those as episodes here. For those of you that might be getting mad about that or something for some weird reason, people get mad when I say random things. Somebody was mad at me on Reddit because I lied about statistics for my show. It's like I've never lied about. If I was gonna lie about statistics on my show, I'd give you good numbers. I've never given you good numbers before. I'll be happy when I'm getting 10,000 or more listeners a day, and I can promise you I'm nowhere near that. And I've never said I was anywhere near that, so I don't know who thinks I'm lying about my numbers, but I'm absolutely not. Thousands, yes. 10,000, no. But anyways, um, all that being said, thank you all very much for hanging around. It's been a fun ride, and uh, here's to four more years. And then, then, you know, four more after that. And Let's be honest, if I'm not doing this when I'm 60, I'm going to be really disappointed onward to 10,000 episodes. Anyways, let's take a break and uh, talk about a few other things. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So I got a call from Nate from uh, Wisconsin Rapids on Monday. In his voicemail, he talked about how excited he was about the, uh, the change in scheme. He highlighted how there were occasions when the Packers would be running the ball very well and Mike McCarthy would still get away from the run, which is absolutely true and I think drove all of us nuts. The passing game would not be working. Aaron Jones would just be tearing it up, and he would still get only about 12, 13 carries in that game. We would stick to trying to throw the ball, and not just throw the ball, but launch it down the field. It wouldn't work, and we would either lose the game or win and be frustrated about it because it was ugly or we beat up on a garbage team or whatever the case may be. 
But beyond that, he went on to talk about how he feels that running the ball more is actually going to help our defense. Because if you run the ball more, the offense is on the field more, keeping their defense on the field more, and keeping our defense on the sideline where they're able to rest. As opposed to the other model, which is the Green Bay Packers are very boom or bust. Right? Either we're going to move the ball down the field quickly, or we're going to fail in doing that and either go three and out or on the second drive or whatever. Either way, the Packers' offense is going to be off the field relatively quickly. And if you're going up against a team that is a, you know, very stout defense, get out of my face, a very stout defense and a run-centric offense, what you see is the Packers very quickly get off the field, and then the other team is there, and they're grinding us down and grinding us down and grinding us down. And then by the fourth quarter, everything kind of blows open. I, I, I feel like we've seen that, right? I think one of the benefits of this team and the reason they were able to hang on is because it wasn't this constant bend-don't-break type of defense where they're on the field constantly. And then, you know, when the fourth quarter would come, you would always feel like the defense wouldn't be able to stop anybody. That was one of the biggest shocks and surprises of the Green Bay Packers defense this past year is the fact that when it came down to it, you felt like they were actually going to be able to make a play. And they did time and time and time and time again. So it kind of works both ways. You feel like, well, maybe we'll be able to tire down their defense, and on the flip side, uh, they'll be able to tire down. They won't be able to tire down ours, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyways, he, despite all of that, I did find an article uh, by Football Outsiders that looked into defense and rest time. It's very, very long. If you just Google um, defense and rest time, Football Outsiders, you'll find it. And as usual, the statistics nerds have to take away all the fun little anecdotes that we say and tell us that we're wrong, and it's very annoying. And honestly, I don't mind if you keep saying it because, you know, it just depends how much you trust their analysis of it. But it looks relatively concrete. I mean, it's, it's just, it all comes down to are they taking in all the right variables? If they are, then it's pretty concrete. If they're missing something that maybe is causing this, then feel free to keep saying it. But, um... They're looking at, I'm trying to think how to summarize this because it's very long, very in-depth. But for example, they're looking at points per drive versus defensive rest time. And what they did is they adjusted for expected points per drive based on starting field position. So they're kind of starting with all these assumptions, baking this into the pie. And then they're basically looking at, okay, based on where you're at and all this stuff, how many points are you expected to get? And then they're measuring that expected points against how much time the defense has had to rest and found that there's really no change. So here they did four different charts. Here are the conclusions that they came to based on this. Here are the conclusions in all four of these charts. Number one, running a lot of plays on a drive does not make your defense perform better on the subsequent drive. Again, remember, if you run a lot of plays, the idea is your defense is more rested, meaning they're going to play better. They found, and I think they said they analyzed nearly 38,000 drives. So it's a massive sample size. And again, the point is they found that regardless of how long the defense had to rest, there was no difference in what you would find and what you would expect based on 38,000 drives. That's pretty massive. Second chart, chewing up a lot of clock on a drive does not make your defense perform better on the subsequent drive. It's very similar, but I guess the difference between a lot of plays and a lot of clock the difference in plays and actual time. Either way you want to say it, it doesn't make a difference. Number three, 
Running a lot of plays against the defense does not make it easier to score on that defense as the game goes on, meaning you're not tiring out the defense. And again, as they explain, we all have those anecdotal things in our head. Well, I remember for a fact that that happened in this game or that game or whatever. And they'll touch on that a bit. But we also have to remember that anecdotal evidence is not great, right? If you have to choose between those five memories that we have, which are possibly slightly skewed anyways, and their analysis of 38,000 drives... Again, as much as I don't want to concede those memories, and I want to say, dude, I remember, I know, I've seen it, you know, I'm, I, I I need to do the rational thing and kind of give way, unless I want to put in the work to try to debunk this, but the fact is, I kind of don't. And then, obviously, the fourth chart is running up a lot of time of possession against a defense does not make it easier to score against that defense as the game goes on. Those are four different ways to analyze basically the same thing, and they came to the same conclusion all four times. There really isn't a difference. I'll just pick one of these paragraphs. Um, it says, if, if it were the case that rested defenses perform better, we would expect the top two graphs of the figure to be downward sloping, more rest equals harder to score, and the bottom two graphs to be upward sloping, defenses on the field longer equals easier to score. Instead, we see little relationship for any of the measures. The one possible exception would be the lower right figure where defenses that have been on the field for a longer time tend to allow fewer points at the very end of games. But they go on to say that's likely because at that point, some offenses are trying to run out the clock, which would make sense. If your defense has been on the field a lot, you're probably not doing a very good job, meaning you're probably ahead, meaning there's probably a slight uptick in how many of case, how many cases where the defense is on the field more and you're also losing. They also go on to say, I could stop here and conclude that there's no evidence uh, that how long a defense has rested affected its performance. However, when digging into the numbers, I noticed that the flat relationship at the bottom two graphs on the figure is the result of two factors, teams with the lead being less likely to score and teams trailing being more likely to score. Here's what the figures look like when excluding drives that began in the fourth quarter with a lead. Now, at this point, he says, we're starting to see those slopes emerge. He says, is this possibly evidence that tired defenses perform worse? He says, while this seems plausible, another possibility is that we're seeing the impact of teams trailing late in the game, making more concerted effort to score, meaning they're passing more, meaning they're probably going to be scoring more. So what he did then is he isolates the situations where the run-pass ratio isn't changed dramatically. In other words, we're stripping out all those times in which suddenly all you're doing is throwing the ball constantly. He says, in this game state, four to ten minutes left in the fourth quarter with the possession team trailing, do rested defenses perform better? The answer that he came to was no. Here is ultimately the conclusion. I will read the conclusion. Putting this all together, the main and perhaps only channel through which an offense can help a defense on a per-drive basis is through field position. Turnovers and quick three-and-outs make a team more likely to give up points on the following drive, but this appears to have everything to do with field position and nothing to do with defensive rest time. That's something else to keep in mind when you're thinking about those anecdotal situations. In other words, whether it's one minute or eight minutes, knowing how long a defense has had to rest tells one nothing about how the defense will perform given its starting field position. Why is the myth that running game that a running game can help a defense so prevalent? I suspect that a contributing factor is the conflation of pace uh, with actual changes in defensive efficiency. He says, if two teams possess the ball an equal number of times, which they do, right? It's your turn, then it's my turn, then it's your turn, then it's my turn then there's nothing inherently valuable about making the other team possess the ball fewer times because then your team has the ball fewer times. And ultimately, it just comes down to how many times you can score when you have the ball, right? If you drag out how long you have the ball, it just means it's going to be a lower scoring game, right? If it takes you a half hour of actual game time to get down the field and score, 
it's going to be hard for you to score 40 points. And if at the end of that, they just get a touchdown, then what have you done to actually help? Other than, again, tire out their defense, but according to this, that's not really a thing that happens. He goes on to say, in the end, barring defensive or special team scores, the team with more points per drive will win, relatively obvious, whether there are a lot of drives or fewer drives. But there is no evidence that time of possession helps a defense perform better than when it's on the field. Again, I'm not trying to crush everybody's dreams. It kind of doesn't make me happy because I've been saying this for years. And I have to think there's a little bit of an element of truth to it. Maybe it's not enough to, to move the needle as far as a massive analysis. But I just have a feeling if you sit down with a anybody in the NFL that's played defense and they say, what are your thoughts on you know rest time for a defense? I'm guessing they would say it's pretty important. I mean, just think about the fact, for example, that um, coaches, defensive coordinators, whatever, like to rotate their defensive linemen. Why do you have to do that? Why do you pull your better players? I mean, with the exception of like safeties, pretty much everybody gets rotated. Maybe safeties, corners, linebackers, for the most part. But really, safeties are, are the only ones that if, if your defense played, you know, 1,500 snaps, your safety is probably going to be the only one that has 15. It, from my experience, what I've noticed, everybody else has been rotated at some point. Why do you do that? Because you want to keep guys fresh, especially along the defensive line. So, I, I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing. And we know how stats can be iffy. I mean, he, he did a good job of, of seemingly hitting all the points that you would think, well, what about this? And he kind of covers it. The only possible issue I could see is if, if he's using EPA, he's using expected points. Expected points is based on a lot of different factors, right? It's taking drive information. You know, how many points are you expected to get on this drive based on all of these factors? First of all, I, I'm guessing it's not, but if, if how long the defense has been on the field is baked into that, then using expected points is dumb because it's your 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 expected points are trending down, right? It, it cancels out, basically. I'm guessing it doesn't do that. But even if you're taking into account um, what time in the game, right? So, for example, what is the expected points if it's 1st and 10 from the 50-yard line in the first quarter compared to 1st and 10 from the 50-yard line in the fourth quarter with three minutes left? If it's significantly, uh, if it's higher, then I think using expected points is flawed and this whole thing is is wrong right because if the expected points goes up and the actual points are going up because the defense is tired you're looking at a at no difference between expected points and actual but that's because it's baked in does it does this make sense to you i'm just i'm just just thinking out loud i'm reading to you what this means what this says what he found and i'm giving you a possible out on that i don't know what's all baked into expected points that's the only thing i can think of if expected points has something to do with um if it varies based on time, then I think this whole thing might be flawed. That's all I'm saying. Come to your own conclusions. But anyways, uh, I do appreciate the call, Mr. Nate from Wisconsin Rapids. And I do think it helps. Well, either way, I think it's ludicrous to think that defenses won't get a little bit more tired if they have to do more. Um, just the nature of run plays, right, outside zone, and just even things like wide receiver screens. You, you've heard players say, or at least I have, how tiresome it is to have to go sideline to sideline all the time. I think about in terms of if it's three-step drop and I throw it 10 yards down the field, what does a defensive tackle have to do? He's going to push his way forward. After I throw the ball, I'm done because I'm not going to chase a guy 10 yards down the field. I mean, I might sort of jog in that direction, but come on, I'm not going to go get that guy. So it's not that big of a deal. 
if somebody throws a wide receiver screen, I got to huff it over there. Granted, I'm probably not the guy, and I could take the playoff, but I'm probably going to get yelled at for that. And if it's a run play, especially, and they're running to the outside, again, I'm not going to be the guy, but I still have to chase him. Now, if it's a run play up the gut, it's a little bit easier. I, I got to be the, I plant my feet and try to, you know, close up this gap, don't get pushed out of the way, and bring the guy down. Maybe try to shed a block. But it's as far as physical exertion, this style of play that forces these guys to exert constant movement and energy is going to wear them down. I mean, that's not debatable. That's a reality. Whether or not that has any impact on the result of the game, I don't know. According to Ben Baldwin, who I know Packer fans hate anyways, so if that's the excuse you need not to listen to that, go for it. According to Ben Baldwin, it doesn't make a difference. Um, anyways, I want to shift a little bit in terms of some uh, updates. There's been a lot of a lot of sort of big and slightly conflicting COVID news that just has me on this roller coaster of whether or not there's going to be a season. And I'm still convinced that there's absolutely going to be one, but it's, it's very weird. Because one minute you get this update, this is from Adam Schefter, he says, There's one person I know, very connected to the NFL, very knowledgeable, he texted me. This is what the text said. The NFL is going to play, Adam, I'm very certain of it. Have faith in the league, the process and testing and protocols are exceptional. You should see and hear how much is being done. Daily saliva tests and PCR tests every three days, sanitizing... Oh, those are two different things. I was like, how is it daily and every three days? Daily saliva tests, PCR tests, whatever that is, every three days. Is that like the, the stick in the nose? I don't know. Sanitizing everything, including the footballs. You can't believe all that is being done to prepare. So you see that and you're like, all right, so football season, good to go. And then games start getting canceled. <laughs> the Hall of Fame game is canceled. And I understand this is, there's going to be somewhat of a meet in the middle, right? On, on one side, you've got definitely a football season. On the other side, you got, we got to start trimming away at certain things, but there's going to be an end point, right? So there's also going to be no fans in the first few rows, and they're going to put ads there. Why are they going to put ads there? Because they're going to be losing revenue, and they need to make up for that revenue, which is actually pretty smart, and it's it's a great kind of compromise. Because as I talked about, loss in revenue is a massive problem for the NFL, and it needs to be avoided in every way possible. So if you got to put ads all over the place, you want to put ads on the field, ads on the helmets, whatever you got to do to make sure that we don't have a massive cut in the, the salary cap next year, let's go ahead and do that. But so far, the Hall of Fame game has been canceled. Um, again, the I don't know, the first few rows, I don't know how many that would be, are going to be essentially roped off. They're not allowed to be, I guess, that close to the field, um, which consequently will mean, I guess, no Lambo leaps, unless you're going to have players leaping into empty stands onto some seats. I hope they at least do something, like just jump up on the wall and sit there or something. I don't know, do a virtual, not virtual, but, you know, from a distance, high-five the fans. See, but then the problem is somebody's going to jump up on the wall, the fans are going to go running down, and they're going to say, you know what? You're, you're causing people to break the rules. We can't let you do that anymore. Because some drunk dodo bird is going to go running up like, Dude, high five me! And then it just ruins everything. And you also probably can't, I'm just thinking here, you can't throw the ball to anybody. right? The, the whole thing of, you know, I'm going to hand you the ball, throw you the ball, here you go, mom, or whatever, that's done. Not that that's a great tradition that really matters, but I'm just saying, like stuff like that, any kind of interaction at the end of a score, it's, that's not a thing anymore. Bottom line is it's going to be a weird season and we're just going to have to deal with it. But there is going to be a season, and there you go. Now, there's still a chance that there won't if things get massively out of control, but I'm pretty optimistic that that won't be the case. But then again, who knows anything? It's June. We still have July, 
We still have August. We still have September. A lot of stuff can happen. But I'm feeling good about season four coming up, man. It's going down. Anyways, finally, and this is from a very long time ago. I got a backlog of, of questions that I just haven't gotten to. So Christian, this is going to be weird because this was like months ago. But Christian asked the question or statement or whatever. He says, I worry about our offensive line without Brian Balaga. Some of this isn't really a sentence, but uh, will not be good. The money chargers paid him. I'm not sure why we didn't retain him. And you explain. So I'm, I'm definitely concerned as well. Uh, as far as the guys that we picked up, I think Wagner, who is now our right tackle, is probably the most talented compared to Kirksey and Funches. But he's not Brian Balaga. I think Brian Balaga was the most underrated player on our team for a very long time. In fact, for a long time, Packer fans just didn't like him. Saying he was constantly injured, which was a massive overstatement. Saying he had tons of penalties, which also wasn't really true. It was just weird. I mean, he was literally one of the best right tackles in football for years. But once it became time for him to leave, all of a sudden it's like, oh no, he's the best tackle in the world. We love him. I I just, I don't get it. It's strange. But no question, we're taking a step backwards. As far as why, the only thing I can say is look at what we're doing now as far as wringing our hands over the salary cap. We're looking at Aaron Jones, David Bakhtiari, Kenny Clark, Corey Lindsley, Kevin King, and we're saying, how in the world are we going to be able to afford all this? And the answer is, we can't. So the fact of the matter is, you add in Brian Balaga, and I understand he wasn't paid a ton of money, but even, what did he get, almost $7 million a year, which, again, for Brian Balaga, that's ridiculously low. But I think it's just, first of all, it's the way the Packers operate. They don't want to give him more money because he's old and he's an offensive lineman and this is just what we do. We move on. But even $7 million apparently was too much. And again, it does sound really ridiculous when you figure a $5.5 million average for Ricky Wagner. So we saved like $1.5 million. That is a little upsetting. But the bottom line is the salary cap is, is a bit of a problem. The other thing to think about is the amount of money is only one aspect of this. Brian Balaga didn't just sign a $6.75 million per year contract. He signed a five-year contract. The Packers signed uh, Ricky Wagner to a two-year contract and basically are only liable for about one of those years. The dead cap for Ricky Wagner after this year is $1.75 million. They could cut him after this year, no problem. So the point is, I, I don't think they really want Wagner either. What they want is somebody who's younger. They want to replace Brian Balaga, but the problem is they didn't find somebody. Right Again, Jason Spriggs was sort of the heir apparent, and he obviously didn't pan out. And they didn't really put much effort into finding somebody else other than three six-round picks this year, which is why I tend to believe number one priority for the Packers coming up in the upcoming draft is going to be offensive tackle. But I really think that they want to view this as a one-year contract. Um, you know, we messed up. We didn't get the guys that we wanted. So we'll, we'll get somebody, not Brian Balaga, because we don't want to pay him a five-year contract and we don't want to give a bunch of money, but we'll give Wagner basically a one-year contract. The cap hit is $4.8 million. We're due to pay him $6 million next year. And it's nice to have that if need be. But that's also something to think about in terms of, well, we don't have any money next year. Well, we don't have any money next year, assuming everything stays the same. There's other options. And maybe that'll be something to look at for tomorrow, Monday, whatever. But you know, we're talking about saving $4.25 million by cutting Wagner. And that's just Wagner. There's there's other guys that might not make the team just throwing a couple names out there. Number one that comes to mind, and I know nobody agrees with me on this, but it's a possibility, Preston Smith. Again, I do expect Preston to regress a lot. 
Uh, the fact of the matter is he had a ton of sacks, but his pressure numbers weren't actually that high. His overall PFF grade was actually relatively low. I mean, I think it was average. If he regresses back to, I mean, basically if just the sack numbers come down a little bit, Preston Smith is going to be an average edge rusher. And if Rashawn takes a step forward, or even if he doesn't, are we really going to pay $16 million to Preston? The dead cap is $8 million, meaning we could save $8 million by moving on from Preston Smith. We can save $4 million if we move on from Billy Turner. We can save $6 million if we move on from Christian Kirksey. We can save 3.3 if we move on from Dean Lowry. Again, we're saving uh, 5.25 if we move on from Wagner. There's some options here. In a million years, I couldn't see it happening, but $13.3 million would get freed up if we moved on from Devante. Again, probably not going to happen, but there's options here. Or at the very least, possibly a restructure for Devante. Can you imagine that? I mean, the fact of the matter is, right now, Devontae's 27 years old. Next year, he's only 28. So, obviously, Devontae's not going to get cut, but, I mean, he's in the I mean, he's in, he's in the final year of his contract next year. So, he's due for an extension anyways. And if we extend him, we could possibly bring this 16 point, That We have to look at that on Monday. i got to get going. But I think that makes a lot of sense. Again, people saying that we don't have any money, therefore we can only sign two, and everyone else we have to assume is gone is not true. We can stagger it by signing some guys this year and some guys next year. That's going to change the dynamic of how everybody is paid because especially next year, you can make it so that you're paying a guy one, two, three million dollars. On top of that, there are guys we can cut, and on top of that, there's guys we can restructure, and I think top of that list is Devontae Adams. $16.6 million cap hit. If we push out that money by giving him another three-year extension, we could possibly, I mean, what do we drop that down to? $6 million, save $10 million? That's, that's, we could easily sign at least one other guy. At least. I don't think we're in a, in a, in a situation where we're going to have to cut people because we don't have the money. The Packers are not going to put themselves in that situation. I don't think, I don't know that they ever have, and I don't think that they ever will. Again, Balaga was about, this is just the way that it goes. He's not that worth, worth that much money to us. And also that is part of how you keep your salary caps so that you're not in a situation where you have to cut guys based on, on, well, we would love to sign them, but we just don't have the money. The older guys go, the younger guys get paid. And again, at 28, the man's going to get paid again. So again, It'll be nice to take a, maybe a better look at that on Monday, but don't fret the salary cap, man. We, we, we've got that thing under control. The Packers, maybe better than anyone, manage the salary cap very, very well. They have a plan. They got it figured out. We'll be all right. We're already with 30. That's assuming there's no increase. We still got people we can cut. We've got guys we can extend. There's plenty of money. So anyways, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Friday. I will talk to you, I guess, Monday pending some weird stuff going on over the weekend. You have a great one. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com